This is a Catholic Concern for Animals podcast. This is a reading from the Ark. Animal Welfare in the Midst of the Invasion of Ukraine by Dr. Gerald Taylor. Read by Dr. Gerald Taylor. Well over 10 million people have been on the move as a result of the invasion of Ukraine. Whilst the world focuses on the millions who have migrated to Poland, Hungary, Moldova and other neighbouring countries, and the handful who have managed to negotiate the tortuous visa process and gain access to the UK, the vast majority of displaced people have been on the move in the Ukraine itself, from the embattled regions of the north, east and southern coast, westward and towards the Ukrainian central areas. Such a movement, and the conflict that has promoted it, has implications not just for the people of the Ukraine and of wider Europe, but also for the biosphere and the animals that form part of it. Unusually, and in marked contrast to conflicts in, for example, Afghanistan, Syria, the Yemen, Myanmar and the like, animals have been a feature of news reporting of the Ukrainian invasion. The focus of this has been very much on reporting the fate of companion animals, and even then, largely restricted to those animals that reporters on the borders of Ukraine witness being brought into neighbouring countries amongst human traffic. This highly selective view of the animal suffering in Ukraine neglects the full scope of the impact Russia's actions have, or threaten, for the corner of creation nestled in Ukraine. As the war in Ukraine has trundled on, and the Ukrainians have demonstrated the surprising weaknesses of the Russian armed forces, initial reportage, scrambling to come to terms with events, focused on the human aspects, interviews with refugees and the like, has begun to make way for some wider analysis. Amongst this has been the observation that Ukraine is a significant producer of grains, and other similar crops such as sunflowers, which are traded on the global commodities market. Given this, it might be assumed that much of the country has been given over to arable and crop production, marginalising animals and minimising any impacts on them. But Ukraine is a big country, sitting at the eastern end of important north-south migration routes, and in a significant position for east-west animal migration. Ukraine boasts a surprising variety of wildlife. Whilst much of the habitat which supported native and migratory animals has been subsumed to industrial agriculture, significant pockets remain. Wikipedia lists some 23 nature reserves in Ukraine. Of these, 13 are situated in areas affected by the 2014 conflict and which were occupied by Russian forces at that time. That includes seven in Crimea, four in Luhansk Oblast, and two in Donetsk Oblast. Of the other ten, three are in areas currently involved in or adjacent to conflict. Ukraine World lists five biospheres you need to visit. Of these, three are situated in the south, one north of the Crimean Peninsula and one around the city of Kyrgyzstan. A third is the remarkable, if inadvertent, rewilding project which now surrounds the destroyed Chernobyl nuclear power plant. 
The exact state of these important areas, or the areas of forest and marsh in northern Ukraine, and the wider forest and steep, can only be guessed at. The one thing we can be certain of is that the Russian invasion has done nothing to make them more secure or improve their outlook. There have also been some reports of Russian prevention of support for animals in these areas, notably around Chernobyl, and relating to the feral dogs around the old nuclear power plant. Pollution is another factor which threatens the ecology of Ukraine. Few will be unaware of the pollution problems caused by the nuclear disaster at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant, the fallout from which affected agricultural production as far away as North Wales. As a heavily industrialised area of the old USSR, this is far from the only pollution issue Ukraine has, and which is being exacerbated by the current conflict. Poor air quality has long been an issue in Ukraine, and now with a massive amount of heavy armament being discharged in conflict regions, the nature of air pollution is rapidly becoming more complex and potentially harmful. With people and animals breathing in the pollutants from exploding munitions, as well as the industrial pollutants already present, the probability of long-term damage is high. In addition, these pollutants will eventually be washed into watercourses, causing further damage. Thankfully, so far, these pollutants have not included the fallout from chemical or tactical nuclear weapons. Another factor here is the potential for deliberate targeting of industrial sites, factories and storage depots, creating their own rich mix of pollution cocktails. In the Donbass, this may have been occurring between 2014 and the more recent invasion. For example, in the shelling of a chlorine pipeline to the Donetsk water filtration plant, which occurred in both 2015 and 2017. If this had resulted in a release of chlorine from the pipes, then local watercourses would have been polluted, threatening enormous damage to human and animal life. In the current conflict, we have witnessed the deliberate targeting of the largest nuclear power plant in Europe, at Zaporizhia in southern Ukraine. These incidents present the opportunity for serious pollution events, damaging ecospheres and environments well beyond the boundaries of Ukraine. It is also worth observing with regard to pollution that since the Russian incursions of 2014, the coal and mercury mines of the Donbass have become flooded, a result of the cutting of electricity to the pumps which used to guard against this prospect. There are some signs of ground movement in the area, which may result from this flooding and the ongoing possibility of pollution of local watercourses. As has already been remarked, Ukraine's agriculture is focused on arable and crop production, and it is an important provider of grains and other crops through Europe and beyond. This does not mean that there is an absence of livestock industries. Since independence three decades ago, cattle numbers have declined from close to 25 million to less than 5 million in 2010. Pig and poultry numbers, on the other hand, have been on the increase in recent years. The fate of livestock in the conflict areas is impossible to know. Those which have not been roughly slaughtered for immediate consumption may well have found themselves abandoned without feed or maintenance to suffer in isolation and to meet what fate arises. There is no sign 
that the invaders would be sympathetic to those who were seeking to provide for animals during the conflict. On March the 5th, Canada's Global News website covered the murder of three volunteers, including 26-year-old Anastasia Yalanskaya, who were murdered by Russian troops as they were returning from delivering food to a dog shelter 30 kilometres outside Kiev. The dogs had been without food for three days, and I expect they were without food again for much longer. Animals in shelters, such as the dogs the murdered volunteers were seeking to care for, are particularly vulnerable. Many carers, volunteers and staff, like Anastasia Yalanskaya, have chosen to stay in conflict zones to seek to care for animals in shelters. But many animals have also been abandoned as people have fled, been unable to visit them, or prevented from doing so by the ferocity of the conflict. A similar situation exists in Ukraine zoos. Many zoos have been affected from the biggest, Markolaev Zoo, to small family-run concerns. Where staff have been willing and able to stay and care for animals, their job has been tense and dangerous, not just because of the conflict, but because of the problems of dealing with stressed and frightened animals. In many cases, animals have been relocated to other zoos, particularly in Poland, but often this is just not possible, either because appropriate facilities for transfer do not exist, or because transport of stressed animals through conflict zones is simply impossible. IASA has coordinated relief for zoos, and has identified nine zoos and parks for which it has provided resources. These include Mikolaev, Kharkiv, Kiev and Odessa Biopark. They also note zoos and parks which have received food and supplies directly from other zoos in countries including Poland, Germany, the Czech Republic and Estonia. The biggest Ukraine animal stories in the news have undoubtedly been the reports of families and individuals fleeing with their companion animals. As the migration started in the first few days of the conflict, journalists posted at the Ukrainian borders of neighbouring countries continually mentioned the numbers of migrants crossing the borders with their companion animals. It was clear that many were not prepared to leave without their companions with them. What was less well reported was that only those who were able to walk across the border were able to bring their animals because buses and trains crossing the border were refusing to take them. This left many with agonising decisions over whether to attempt the walk with their animals or to abandon them, a decision they often had to make in very short order. The legacy of this has been a raft of abandoned animals, Many of them left in western Ukraine, a few miles away from border countries, but many hundreds of miles from anywhere they once regarded as home. A great deal of the rescue effort has been focused on retrieving these abandoned animals, usually in coordination with shelter organisations in neighbouring countries, with Poland once again prominent. Fortunately, many neighbouring and other European countries were prepared to relax their border controls to facilitate the passage of these animals, as IFOR helpfully recorded. Nonetheless, events are putting an enormous strain on rescue organisations from Leave westward, and in Ukraine's neighbouring countries, as well as creating unprecedented corridors for trafficking animals from Ukraine to other countries, either with or without their human families.
All these events have understandably provoked a considerable public response for both the humans and animals which have been affected by these terrible sufferings. Alongside this public response, and fuelled by it, has been a significant response from animal charities and a considerable channelling of resources to Ukraine's neighbours in particular. Major animal charities, such as PETA and I4, have been quick to react, as have we at Catholic Concern for Animals. Apart from making our own statement on Ukraine, which we set out early in the war and which can be read in this issue of The Ark, through our membership of Eurogroup for Animals, we have been seeking to influence the EU and European governments to improve their support for the animals of Ukraine. In addition, the Phyllis Mary Trust has made emergency donations to three charities at the forefront of assistance in Ukraine and for refugee animals. Kasafer Patrucia, based in Romania, Fundazja Viva Poland and Harmony Fund for Ukraine. We aim to continue and build on this beginning over the coming months and into the future. Animals have suffered throughout Ukraine, wild, in captivity, in agricultural production or in family settings, whether displaced or still in Ukraine. We cannot and probably never will know how they have suffered or on what scale. This is particularly the case of animals who have found themselves trapped in the urban centres which have come under such fierce and unrelenting bombardment from the Russian armed forces. We hope you will feel able to support our work at Catholic Concern for Animals, as well as the work of other charities and organisations in support of the animals of the Ukraine. That was a Catholic Concern for Animals podcast. Reading from the Ark Written and read by Dr. Gerald Taylor.